When God created mankind, he created us with lots of different emotions. Emotions are what make us different than the other creatures that God created. If you look at dogs and cats and pigs and cows, they just kind of live by their biology. Whatever dogs and cows and pigs do, they do what dogs and cows and pigs do. We humans, we have emotions. We talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, the reason we have emotions is because God created us in his image. Genesis 1.27 says that God said, let us make man in our image. So the worst scoundrel that you can think of, the worst person you know, the worst person you've ever heard about, uh, that person has value because they are actually made in the image of God. Uh, today is Sanctity of Life sermon, and while I'm not going to preach a, a sermon on that per se, this does roll into what we're talking about today. The fact that we have emotion, the fact that we have the ability to reason, is the, one of the reasons we have value. We're made in God's image. I don't know how many of you all have watched Star Trek Next Generation, but if you remember Data, the humanoid... Uh, I called him man that was on the, the, the Enterprise crew. He's not exactly a man. He's, he's a computer. But one of the things that he wanted all throughout that series was to understand what it was like to be human, to understand what it was like to find, uh, to have uh, emotion. Uh, matter of fact, they created an emotion chip for him that they put in so he could understand emotions. And of all the different emotions that we humans have, we, we have happiness, we have joy, we have uh, different emotions. One of them that comes up quite often for me and maybe for you as well, for a lot of us, is the emotion of anger. Uh, anger and bitterness are something that we humans have to deal with. It's something that most of us have dealt with and what a lot of us are still dealing with. We have been talking about the fact that God is bigger. We've talked about the fact that God is bigger than my past. We all have a past. God is bigger. He can help us overcome that. He can help us put our past in the past so that we can enjoy the future that he has for us. We've also talked about the fact God is bigger than our fears. Whatever things that we're anxious about, whatever things that we're worried about, let's learn to turn them over to God and let God deal with them. There's not a fear, there's not a problem, there's not a, an anxiety, a worry that we face that God cannot handle. If God created the world from nothing, if God created man in his image, God can handle your problem. He can handle my problem. Instead of us taking our huge problems to an itty-bitty God, how about we take our itty-bitty problems to a huge God, amen, and let God deal with that. But today... We're also looking at the fact that no matter how strong my anger is, no matter how deep my bitterness might be, no matter how hard of a time I'm having forgiving someone who's done something to me, God is bigger than my anger, and God can help us deal with our anger and with our bitterness. And although a lot of things can spout and can spark a bout of anger, you might be surprised what event the Bible associates anger with more often than not. We're going we're to be kind of all over this morning, but we're going 
to start in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And our key verses are verses 4 and 5, but we're going to start with verse 1 for context. Genesis 4. Now you all know this story. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And also, or Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Another translation says, So Cain became very angry and felt rejected. That's interesting. This is the first appearance of anger in the Bible. Anger's going to pop up some 400 more times in Scripture if we'll keep reading and we'll keep studying. But this is the first occasion. Anger pulls up in his truck, and he's right there, and did you see who's in the front seat next to him riding shotgun? It's the word rejection. It's the word, the idea of being turned away. God was pleased with Abel and his offering. With Cain, not so much. So we have anger and we have uh, rejection. Rejection led to anger. The more that Cain thought about this anger, the madder he got. Can you relate to that? Sometimes you get a little angry, a little bitter. The more you think of it, the madder you get. And so you keep on going, you keep on going. We know what happens. Cain ended up murdering Abel. Not only do we have here for the first time, we have the first murder. But it doesn't just stop there. Look a little further in the book of Genesis to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Once again, our key verse is verse 4, but we're going to start with verse 1. Genesis 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was with, because he was the son of his old age. He also made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. Now watch verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. There we see anger. Do you see rejection again? Jacob he played favorites. Now, all of us who have brothers and sisters have played the my brother and my sister's your favorite to our parents, haven't we? We've laid that card down. Well, in this case, it's true. Uh, Joseph, or Jacob did treat Joseph better than the children. That's not the first time this has happened in their family. Do you remember Jacob's brother Esau? Their parents, Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac's favorite child was Esau. 
because Esau was a hunter and Isaac liked to eat. And so that was his favorite child. Rebekah's favorite child was Jacob. So this favoritism with the children is passed down to Jacob. And Jacob passes it right on down. And Joseph is the accepted child. Joseph is the golden child. And his brothers felt rejected. His brothers felt abandoned. And they took it out on Joseph. They were angry. They were bitter. But it doesn't stop there. Just like Cain's anger led to the murder of Abel, the brother's anger led to what? The enslavement of Joseph, right? And Joseph ended up being sold into Egyptian slavery. It doesn't stop there, though. 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Beginning in verse 5. 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now what happened is they were coming home. When David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, or the Philistines, that, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now watch verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul has already been rejected by God because he was disobedient to God. God has already anointed David as the next king of Israel. But here, Saul appoints David his, basically what, what we would say, the commander of all of his armies, his head general, his secretary of, of war, we would say. And he was so successful at it, when they came back into uh, Israel from going to war, the women came out of the house and, houses and were just celebrating David. David, now Saul is great, he's killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his ten thousands. And Saul says, the people have already, David has already won the hearts of the people. What's left for David to win other than my kingdom? Saul already knew his goose was cooked. And it says that Saul kept his eye on David the rest of that time forward. If you'll follow this story through, from this day forward, Saul goes back and forth between depression, anger, hatred, tries to kill David several times. But Saul's anger, the principal law that set off that fire of anger, was rejection. But it doesn't. Stop there. A little bit further, this time in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 1. Again David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went uh, with all the people who were with him. 
from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name was called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they're going back after the ark of the covenant. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, not Ohio, but Ahio, uh, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on strystrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now watch verse 8. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. So see what's going on here. The Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines. And now it's been returned to a house on the outskirts of Israel. And David goes to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. Now, the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, gives very clear instructions how the Ark was to be transported. Certain groups of the priests, it had to be certain, it had to be a certain lineage to be able to carry the Ark. They were to put poles through the holes in the ark, and men would carry these the ark on a pole. They would transport it that way. Well, here, they don't do that. David and his group decide they're going to build a cart. Now, it was a new cart. must have been a nice cart. It might have been the Lamborghini of carts, as far as carts are concerned. But they put the ark on this cart and off they go. And they're celebrating, they're worshiping God. Hallelujah, they're singing their equivalent of victory in Jesus. And they're just having a big time. And about that time, the ox stumbles. And when the ox stumbled, and the ark started to fall off the cart. And Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. Now, touching the ark was a no-no. And God struck Uzzah dead. And it says that David, before David was afraid, he became angry. You know why David was angry? Because God has rejected his efforts in moving the ark. Now, never mind that God had, or that David had disobeyed the way in which God had set up the ark to be transported. David was angry because God had rejected him. One more. The book of Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? He had a whale of a problem with anger. <laughs> I couldn't pass that up. I just kind of had to, to let that go there. Jonah, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the master power of those days, and they were a very wicked, they were very cruel. Uh, they tortured uh, Hebrews and other nations. They were very just a, just a horrible people. And God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and tell them they needed to repent or God was going to destroy them. Well, Jonah wanted the Ninevites destroyed. 
He thought they didn't deserve God's grace. After all, they were bad people. They don't deserve the grace of God. Well, you remember what happened. Jonah, he decides that he's going to run away from God. So Nineveh's way over here. Jonah gets on a ship going way over here. And a storm brews up, and the ship is ready to sink. We'll be in Jonah 4 here in just a second. I just kind of tell them, try to lay the story out a little bit. You know the storm. The storm hits. They pitch Jonah overboard. Jonah ends up in the belly of a great fish. And he gets there in the belly of the great fish, and he says, you know, this isn't the grandest place in the world. I don't know what he saw when he was in the belly of the great fish. You know, all these other dead fish and seaweed and all this kind of stuff. He says, Lord, he says, I know you can save me. And he says, I know you have power. He says, I know you'll do that. And so the, the fish goes up to Nineveh. Instead of Jonah riding a boat to Spain, he gets to ride in the belly of a fish to Nineveh. And the fish gets him on the outskirts of the coast and vomits him up to on the shores of Nineveh. And there Jonah is. He's probably skin, probably white from the acids in the whale's stomach. He's got, imagine what that smelled like after spending three days and nights in the belly of a great fish. He's got seaweed hanging off his ears. It doesn't say he went and took a shower. It says he went right to Nineveh and he gave the message. He preached a message to them. He said, 40 days and God's going to come. And sure enough, the people repented. Probably the greatest mass revival in the history of evangelism. 120,000 people in Nineveh. You would think Jonah would be ecstatic. You would think Jonah would be happy. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, or Spain, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord says, Isn't it right for you to be angry? You know why Jonah was angry? Because Jonah didn't think the Ninevites deserved grace. Jonah didn't think the Ninevites deserved mercy. But, Jonah, but God did. And so God rejected Jonah's theology. And it made Jonah angry. And it goes on that God causes a great big plant to come up overnight. And it has great big leaves. And the plant covers Jonah's head. And Jonah says, I'm so happy. That sun is hot. And I've just been in the belly of that whale. And, and this is just a perfect place for me to be. And he's watching what's going to happen. And Jonah feels a little bit better at this point. Overnight, God kills, sends a worm. And it eats the plant. And Jonah's hot again. And Jonah says, God, you just might as well kill me. I'm just miserable. You might as well kill me. And God says again, do you have the right to be angry? And Jonah says, you bet I do. Now you've rejected my plant that was protecting me. Anger and rejection go hand in hand. And we could look further and we could look 
at other places. And I want to say this, that anger is a complex emotion. It's caused by lots of different things. It's caused by impatience or impatience. It's caused by unmet expectations. It's caused by hurt. It's caused by stress. Anger might even be caused by a quarterback who keeps throwing the ball to the other team. Like the, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's left over from last night. But aren't we all working with anger in our lives? Aren't we all working with some bitterness in our lives? And, and the fire of anger has many logs. But according to biblical accounts, the thickest and the hottest block of wood that causes anger is rejection. And before we can look at the way anger affects our relationship with others and how to mend these relationships, we need to set our spiritual house in order. What do I need to do? What do you need to do to help our heart overcome anger and bitterness and to help us be able to forgive those folks who have hurt us? And I want to start this by asking you a question. If rejection causes anger, don't you suppose that acceptance would help heal that? If we knew we were accepted, if we knew we had been forgiven, don't you suppose that might help us be a little bit less angry? Sometimes we say, well, I just can't forgive this person. And you know what? Quite often that's a true statement. We need some help dealing with our anger. We need some help dealing with our rejection. We need some help dealing with our bitterness. And it's not something that we're going to be able to, a switch we're going to be able to flip off day or night. What anger and rejection and bitterness does to us, when we go to the doctor, we, we want to say, doctor, I've, I've got a stuffy nose, write me a prescription and let it be fixed. When my heart gets, the artery gets blocked up, I want to go to my cardiologist and say, doc, I think I need a stent, put a stent in and it'll be fixed. Anger and rejection and bitterness, those kinds of emotions, you can't flip on and off with a switch. And you can't necessarily write a prescription to fix it. You can't put a stent on it and make it just snap your finger and it goes away. It takes time. It takes effort. But what I'm going to tell you today is, is going to be a start, I think. And I think it's where we have to start as Christians. Now, this advice isn't good for non-Christ followers. This is only advice that I would give to Christian people. Luke chapter 7. So we're, going to, we're going to spend the rest of our time. Luke chapter 7. I call this the 747 principle. And uh, I'll tell you why I call it that here in just a minute. Beginning verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, 
would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now watch verse 47. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The reason I call this the 747 principle because the principle is found in Luke 7, verse 47. Uh, I know that's not real complex, but that's why I call it that. And it's easy for me to remember that. It's that I, I use this verse quite often with our inmates, trying to help them deal with anger and with bitterness and with frustration. And that helps me. I, I'm at the point I need whatever little help I can get. I don't have. I need cue cards to carry with me all the time. But the principle behind it is this: we can replace the word "forgiven" with "accepted," and we can maintain the integrity of this passage. Instead of saying, "He who is forgiven little loves little," we could say, "He who is accepted little forgives little." If we think God is harsh and unfair, guess what? I'm going to be harsh and unfair. We're going to be harsh and unfair. Guess how we will treat people? Harshly and unfairly. But if we discover that God has doused us with unconditional love, should that make a difference in our lives? If we realize that God has forgiven us, and, and you can... Write this down or, or make a mental note of it. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. There's a whole list there of spiritual blessings that God has given us as being part of his family. If you read that, you'll find out that we've been chosen. We have been predestined to be God's children. We've been chosen to be adopted into God's family. We've been chosen to have an inheritance. We've been given the Holy Spirit which acts as earnest for our salvation that's going to happen in the future. Let me tell you something, y'all. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you were adopted into God's family. You're a member of God's family. I got good news for you. If you're adopted, you have the same rights as a biological kid. The law says so. Ultimately, we're talking about Jesus. He is the begotten Son of God. But we're also talking about Israel. This is in Romans as well. It won't be tonight. It'll be a little bit later. 
Israel was God's chosen people, but as through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus, we have been grafted in to that family. He, Paul uses an olive tree. He describes Israel as an olive tree, a wild olive tree. And he says through the blood of Jesus, the Gentiles have been grafted in. We're part of that olive tree. We are part of God's family. Now, can I ask you a serious question? If you are adopted into God's family, if you are one of God's kids, does the rest of it really matter? If God has forgiven you, you're one of his kids, he's in your family. He's taken the blood of Jesus, and through the blood of Jesus, Jesus took your sin, you took his righteousness. He's forgiven you a debt. And the example that Jesus gave in, in Luke 7, to put it in our modern language, it would be one person owed a debt of a million dollars, the other person owed a debt of fifty dollars. And the person to whom the debt was owed said, y'all worry, don't worry about it, I, I, your debt's forgiven. Who do you suppose has more gratitude, the guy that owed a million or the guy that owed ten? Well, it's the million, right? Listen to me now. If you stay, if you've been asleep, wake up. Jesus Christ, and through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you of a debt far greater than a million dollars. I deserved hellfire for eternity because of my sin. And I may say in my mind, Satan even may try to get me to tell myself in my mind, well, I'm not that bad. At least I don't do this. At least I don't do that. I, I never did this. I never did that. If we have sinned one time, we have missed the mark. God's mark is holiness. God's mark is perfection. And when we miss that mark, we are out of God's fellowship. Our, our relationship's been broken, and we can't be good enough to get it back because we keep on sinning. And so God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to take my death, take your debt and say, y'all don't worry about that. Jesus has paid the debt. Welcome to the family. Isn't that pretty cool? Can I tell you that it's not easy to forgive? And I know that a lot of us deal with anger and bitterness that's been in our lives since childhood. And I'm not making like we need to work with those emotions. You know, you may even need to talk to a counselor. A good Christian counselor is a good thing to help you work through those emotions. But a starting place is understanding that we have been accepted into God's family. God hasn't rejected us. Our father, our mother, our grandfather, our grandmother, our wife, our husband, our kids, our grandkids, they might have rejected us. God hasn't rejected us. He's accepted us. He's made us a part of his family. And Hebrews 13 tells us that once you're in God's family, that he will never leave you. When you put your faith and your trust in other people, they're going to let you down. Don't put your faith and trust in me. 
Don't put your faith and trust in each other. Now, we need to love each other. We need to support each other. We need to care for each other. We need to be a family for each other. But just like families let us ourselves down sometimes, we will each other. We won't mean to, but we will. But can I tell you, your faith needs to be placed in Jesus. And when your faith and when your trust is there, it won't remove the hurt, but it'll start you on the road to healing. Amen? God is bigger than your pain. God is bigger than your bitterness. God is bigger than your rejection. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Maybe you've carried that bitterness and anger around. Can I ask you a question? Isn't it time to let it go? Haven't you carried it around long enough? Because you know something? Holding anger and bitterness and rejection inside of you will eat you alive. And did you know that all your anger and your bitterness and your rejection, the person you're angry with may not even know you're angry with them. The person you're bitter with you're not doing anything to them by being angry and bitter. You're hurting yourself. You know how our doctors, my, my cardiologist, the first question he always asks me, there's two. The first one is, after we get past the hello, how are you feeling? He says, now here, he says, you know your questions. Are you exercising? And are you eating right? Because if you don't exercise, you don't eat right, it's going to hurt you. Well, I'm going to play your cardiologist this morning. And I can tell you that if your heart is clogged with anger and bitterness and rejection, it's going to cause health problems spiritually. <clears throat> and those health problems will spread past your heart. And it'll show up in all areas of life. Have you ever been thinking about whatever you're angry about? You're dwelling on that person. And maybe you're dwelling on the bitterness and the rejection. And the more you think about it, the matter you get. Kind of like Cain thinking about being rejected by God. And the matter he got, he ended up killing Abel. But but we think about it, we're angry, we're mad, we're upset, we're bitter. We've been thinking about this for days. And then somebody comes up and says something to them, and we just take their head off. We snap their head off, we, we speak harshly, we speak unkindly. And then we, then we say something like this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that to you. And we have to, you ever been there? I have. Y'all probably have too. And I tell you, instead of focusing on the anger and the bitter and the rejection, let's focus on the acceptance and the love and the forgiveness. We're God's kids, y'all. We're children of a king. And if that don't turn your knob, or if that, but band director used to say, if that doesn't turn you on, you don't have a knob. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us. I just pray you would help us in our day-to-day -day lives to 
not take our blessings for granted, and the chief of those blessings is forgiveness and the ability to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I just pray you would help us to learn to focus on that and help us to forgive. Help us to learn to love. Help us to learn to love ourselves the way you love us. And then once we realize we are accepted, and then when we realize you love us, Father, and that you've forgiven us, help us forgive others who may have hurt us. In Jesus' name, amen.